Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Backline Report. We go live every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and check in on the world of golf to bring you the latest news, insights, analysis, interviews, recaps, previews. Hey, we cover anything and everything golf. In other words, if it happened in golf, we have it for you. My name is Carlos Torres. Every week, I'm alongside my co-host, Fred Alvader, who's somewhere in the southern part of the state, somewhere in the U.S. He's been traveling all over. I mean, you guys know he visited me here in Texas. I don't know where he is. Where are you, Fred? How are you, by the way? Well, you know, since we last spoke, I have been in Albuquerque and Santa Fe, New Mexico, which are lovely. And now we're in Sedona. We've been here for a couple of days. Uh, got another couple of days before we have to leave. Uh, Sedona is one of our favorite places uh, anywhere. Um, and uh, I have to say, you know, Santa Fe is beautiful. We really enjoyed our time there. The drive across uh, the northern portion of New Mexico into Arizona was gorgeous. The buttes, the valleys, the vistas, they're all amazing. But above all of that, Sedona is just simply majestic. The towering red rocks, uh, the views are 360 degrees in every direction. It simply takes your breath away. Even has kind of a spiritual feel about it. Uh, it's just, uh, it, it's really something. We got to play a little golf um, the other day at uh, Sedona Golf Resort, which is right across the street from where we're staying. Um, the views of the towering red wrecks, uh, simply unbelievable from the golf course. Uh, it just makes somebody feel like they are, like we're walking in God's garden here. It's just, uh, it, it just has an awesome feel. But enough about that. We want to give our listeners a chance to visit one of the premier golf destinations in the country, Carlos. Uh, French Lick Resort in southern Indiana is a joy for the whole family, but especially so for golfers. That's why Backline Report is happy to announce a new contest for our listeners. We're giving away two nights lodging at the French Lick Springs Hotel and Casino, plus a round of golf for two at the historic Donald Ross Course at French Lick. The Ross course first opened for play in 1917, and a scant seven years later, Walter Hagen won the 1924 PGA Championship there. It has hosted a multitude of other big tournaments since then. It annually hosts the LPGA Senior, the Senior LPGA Championship, and it has been internationally acclaimed uh, for sure. The contest is easy to enter. Simply visit ohiogolfjournal.com Click on the link just below the headline pictures at the top of the page. Enter your contact information. You'll be entered to win this outstanding trip to one of the best golf resorts in the country. Remember, visit OhioGolfJournal.com. Click on the Register Now button right below Jack Nicholas's picture. Carlos, we got, some, we got a lot of golf to talk about tonight, as always. There was some very serious golf last weekend. Um, the top stories for tonight... Adam Scott was the last man standing in the carnage at Riviera on Sunday to win in L.A. over a very, very strong field. N.B. Park, well, it didn't take her very long. She, she won in Australia. I guess she was serious when she said she wanted to get back to the Olympics. Scott Perrell won the Champions Tour, but Bernhard Langer was right there, wasn't too far away. Plus, there's a WGC event in Mexico this week but many of the big names aren't even bothering to jump in the private jet and fly down there and pick up their guaranteed money. So we're going to talk about what's going on with that. Carlos, 
we got a lot of golf to talk about. So let's get to it. Let's go. We definitely have a lot to talk about. Hopefully we can fit it in in this show. But, hey, let's start uh, with the weekend backspin. Every week we recap the weekend's action, and we're going to start with the big tournament that happened on the PGA Tour. And Adam Scott won his 14th PGA Tour title and now has returned to the world's top 10. He took a two-stroke victory there at Genesis Invitational. Uh, he began that day, the Sunday, tied for the lead. He was playing with Roy McIlroy and Matt Kuchar, but he had a final round of 70, which is a one-under. Good enough to win at 11-under par. He beat Matt Kuchar, Sung King, and Scott Brown by two, and McIlroy tied for fifth along with Hideki Matsuyama, Bryson DeChambeau, Max Homan, and Joel Damon. Uh, Adams, uh, one under par, included what was a double bogey on the fifth, which was a hole where Rory McIlroy's challenge faded when he did a triple bogey seven. <laughs> then McIlroy bogey the next. Yeah, a what? A triple, a, a triple bogey seven. A pro yeah. had a triple bogey? That can't happen. And not only that, it was the world's number one player. Rory McIlroy on, did a triple bogey. I mean, on, I do a triple a bogey five, now, and too. I say like, <laughs> no, it was yeah, and, uh, no, it was a uh, the fifth is a yeah. a, a par four. Yeah, is in a par four. No, that par five. He is third shot. He airmailed the green with a wedge. Um, right, but it was uh, he then, did a seven, so it was a par four. Okay, okay, all right, all right, you're right. Yeah, yeah. But and then the five was and, a par I mean, four. he just then, it just yes, it, it just got away from him. Man, it took off. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know what happened to him there, but now I feel good. I can do triple bogey, no problem. I, I mean, the world number one in the, <laughs> does it, I can do it too. Then, he, but, but that wasn't only a thing. Afterwards, he bogeyed the next, and then that was when Adam Scott birdie and searched for the lead, and that was it. I mean, Rory, uh, at least for him, he will be spending one more week at top of the uh, official world golf ranking. So now he will be equaling Nick Faldo's record of 97 weeks as world number one. So officially tied for third on the longest time atop the world rankings. He has now opened 2020 with a T3 at the Farmers Insurance Open, now a T5 at the Genesis. But back to Adam Scott. I mean, he turns 40 this year. And he said on a conference afterwards, he revealed that he still believes, actually, that his best years could still be ahead of him. He said that after playing so many years, he still feels like better than ever. And now 14 PGA Tour titles ahead is back inside the world's top 10 for the first time since May 2017. And definitely last year, we talked about Adam Scott, like returning to that uh form that saw him reach the world number one and he's been very consistent and definitely I, I would believe it the way that he's playing that his best years could still be ahead of him he also had to be um, adapting to the new putter remember with the change uh, it seems like it's really making good for him the change of the putter anyway on the leaderboard those top 10 were Adam Scott first at 11 under Tie for second, Sung Kang, Matt Kuchar, and Scott Brown. Then tie for fifth were Rory McIlroy, Hideki Matsuyama, Joel Damon, Max Homa, and Bryson DeChambeau. But, Fred, it was all about Adam Scott and those nasty conditions on Sunday. He was the one to survive the, the carnage, like you said. 
Well, this event really had the feel of a major tournament. Uh, matter of fact, the field this week is going to be much better than the field next week for a WGC event. Um, you had all the big names, 19 of the top 25 in the world were there, I think uh, nine of the top 10. Um, so, I mean, it was really a tremendous field. Uh, and then, to me, though, one of the big things is that Riviera just kind of slapped the USGA and the RNA right in the face and said, you know, we don't need long golf courses. You don't need to regulate clubs. You don't need to regulate the ball. Uh, we've got a golf course. We can build a golf course here that challenges the best and doesn't have to be 7,400 yards. It proved once again why it's such a great golf course. Tricky greens, tight fairways, Kikuyu grass. Um, you have to break down each hole like a par three and hit the spots, even in the fairway. If you're off just a little bit, you have no line to the pin, the way those bunkers are set in there and the way the greens undulate. Uh, plus, your upcoming putt, if you don't hit it in the right spot, you may be impossible to even get close. I, did you see the putt that Rory had uh, on the one day? I think maybe it was Friday or Saturday. I can't remember which one. But that the green with the bunker in the middle, he was on the front right portion of the green, and the pin was kind of in the back more to the center. He had to putt up and around that bunker and hit the slope just right. Now, he did it. It was amazing putt. He ended up about six inches from the hole. But most people would probably maybe four-putt that putt. I mean, it was unbelievable. Well, Sunday was a particularly difficult day at Riviera. The scoring was high. The greens were rock hard. Just enough wind swirling around the canyon that Riviera sits in to keep the players guessing. Um, you know, Carlos, we, you talked about Adam Scott and, and reaching a peak. You know, last year, if you remember... Uh, playing at Torrey Pines at the early part of the season last year, he was striking the ball immaculately. I mean, he was just, every shot was right on the money. His putting let him down, and that's been the key since they went away from the anchored putter. Um, he's had trouble with that putting, but I think maybe he's getting that figured out. So, And he made the same comment. He said, you know, he made some putts, saw some putts go in that haven't been going in. So, um I, you know, Adam Scott, uh, I, I, what, when you talk about his game, I, I just want to say like regal. You know, it's just, I mean, it's a beauty to watch him, to watch him swing the golf club. Um, you know, Son Kang, though, and Scott Brown, they tried to kind of steal it. They posted early at minus nine. Everybody was going backwards, and the leaders still had about four holes to play, and you're thinking, oh, man, can, can Adam hold this thing together and get it in? Uh, and get the win. Um, you had Kuchar, Rory, and Adam Scott all holding the 54-hole lead. But as you said, Kuchar and Rory kind of went backwards and uh, and left it all for Adam Scott. So, uh, Carlos, I, I know you got some other stuff you want to talk about. I, that's kind of the key points that I saw. Um, but the biggest thing for me is out of this whole thing, my biggest takeaway was that even with this elite field, Riviera once again proved the fact that a golf course doesn't have to be 7,200 yards to post a true test for the best golfers in the world. And talk about two of the best golfers in the world. The biggest name in golf is Tiger Woods. He was the host of this tournament. And I bet you when he looks back 
at the 2020 Genesis Invitational, of course, he'll have fun memories of his role as a tournament host because uh, his memories and his performance won't be as fun. I mean, back where it all started in 1992, when he made his PGA Tour debut there at Riviera County Club, he was just 16 years old. He was an amateur. He struggled to even make the cut and proceed to roll out performances of five under 76 and Saturday and six over 77 during that Sunday's final round. And for the fourth consecutive day, would struggle in every aspect of his game. I mean, that 31 opening back nine on Thursday looked like he was playing somewhere else because everything that he did afterwards, wayward drives, short approaches, and poor putting, culminating in what was an 11-over finish, putting Tiger at the bottom of the leaderboard. The lone bright side of the round came on that par 5-17 and first holes where he made birdie and eagle. But entering the week, Fred, uh, he was looking for his record-breaking 83rd PGA Tour title. It looked like he got off to a great start, and the, the, the internet went on fire. Oh, my God, Tiger 31 front nine. Seems like this is it. But, no, it didn't happen. He has also said uh, that he's not going to, and we're going to talk about the WGC Mexico, but he said that he's not going to be playing it. He's wore down. So seems like uh, there's something behind it that, that he's still not in top shape here. This uh, complex schedule, and now with the Olympics as well, are starting to take a toll on people, especially in Tiger's uh, form, that now he has to see how he's going to, really peak for the majors and if even if he's going to make the Olympics which still uh, that's a debate right now because he's not going to play in Mexico so uh, how about Wood's performance he really doesn't seem even though he's the host here he really doesn't seem like he can perform well there he has never been able to play there I think 14 starts there never won there doesn't even really have very many high finishes there Um, he's just for some reason, it gets in his head there, uh, and he just can't, uh, can't pull it off. Uh, one of the things, the problems was, it was cool weather there this week, uh, and he got stiff. Uh, he said he got stiff on the second nine holes on uh, Thursday. And uh, you could just kind of see, you know, he wasn't swinging free. The shots just, he just wasn't able to pull the shots off that he wanted. But really, the biggest thing was his putting. His putting was atrocious. I mean, it was, he was last in the field in putting. It was, it was absolutely terrible. And, you know, um, one of the things that I don't think people realize, I mean, if, if you look during this term, Tiger was everywhere. I mean, he was playing, but he was hosting, and he took that hosting role seriously. He was involved in everything. There was ads and all this stuff going on, uh, and he was involved in a lot of it. Uh, he was involved in the Pro-Am thing. He was involved in the contest before. Um, so that's a lot of stuff for him, um, you know, with his health and things that he deals with. So I don't think maybe he was able to prepare and get ready. You know, and he says, you know, he has to get up like four hours before and work out and get all loose and all that kind of thing. I don't, you know, with the dinners and the things going on in the evening that he had to be at, I'm not sure he got enough sleep. I think he just wore down. Uh, and then, Carlos, the other point you made there, um, the schedule, you know, we've said before that this is a young guy's game. Um, and it's, you know, um, to, to put up, there have to be more athletes and more in shape than ever, ever before. 
Uh, you can't have the Tim Herons of the world uh, out there, uh, you know, that are uh, 80 pounds overweight anymore. It just it ain't going to happen. You look, you watch these guys. They are all in shape. I mean, it's it's they have to be because of the grind and the grueling schedule. And and I think it was just a little bit too much for Tiger last week. And I think it really showed up in his putting. Oh, definitely. And uh, another player that we have to talk about is, of course, Brooks Kepka, who was the former number one that lost that to Roy McIlroy. And he made an alarming uh, admission about the state of his knee injury uh, prior to Genesis uh, of the tournament. He said that uh, the, the injury was a lot worse than he led on. He said that there was a lot of pain, that he's nowhere near 100%. But worse than that, to me, Fred, he said, I don't know if my knee will ever be 100%. He said that it's just one of those things where he's just trying every day. And then he said that on Monday was the most pain that he's had since he toured it. That's not good. I mean, uh, he has to either stop and do something about it. Uh, for someone who has already gone through a wrist injury, we remember what that was like. I mean, this is not ideal for him. Of course, I mean, when he returned from that wrist injury, all he did was defend his title at the U.S. Open but and won the PGA uh, Championship a few months later. But as Tiger Woods very well knows, knees are a different ball game. I mean, it's not the same thing. It'll be interesting for it to see how Kepka will handle the pain as this, again, coming to the scheduling, a compact schedule, uh, even now more with the Olympics coming. How is he going to handle the pain? Is he going to take some time off? Uh, it's really, really worrisome to say to see that he's still in pain, he's not 100%, and he's even doubting that he will be again 100%. Yeah, they had the media day for the PGA Championship uh, up at uh, Harding Park uh, on Monday, and uh, he was at a presser there, and I read through that today. Um, he said that uh, the knee is getting better. Uh, the problem is walking downhill. He has to be very careful still with that. Uh, as, and he did admit at... In the, at the genesis that it was much worse or much severe than he let on. But um, he's not playing this week in Mexico. Um, he said he's not anywhere near 100%, but he said by the time the PGA rolls around, uh, he will be. Um, so I don't know what that means for the Masters. I don't know what that means for the TPC, uh, for the players at TPC. Um, but uh, he said by that time he's going to be as good as he's going to get. Um, but evidently it's a little bit of a concern. Um, he said it's not like kind of like the other injury where once he could go, he could just go. Um, you know, he spent a lot of time in rehab with that. But um, um, he said it is a concern, but he, he said at this other press conference that he'll be ready to go by the time the uh, summer rolls around. All right, let's close this one, and now let's move on to the LPGA. And Inby Park began that ISPS hand at Women's Australian Open with a hole-out for Eagle from the fairway on the opening hole. I, I was like, wow, could such a dream start be a sign of what's to come? Uh, you can never tell by watching Inby, of course. Uh, drop in at any moment of a round, and it's impossible to tell if she's setting a course record 
or she's really missing the cut because she's never either too high, never too low, which is a trait that her peers have long admired, that coolness that she has all around. I mean, plenty of friends came out after she won the Australian Open. She clinched it in a bubbly after that. She led by as many as six during what was a taxing final round. The victory ended a two-year uh, victory drought for her. And uh, a look at the bigger picture shows an outcome that's classic Inbe. One week after the LPGA announced that the entire Asian swing was canceled, and we're going to be talking about this uh, in a little while, due to the coronavirus, Inbe got down to business. She has said that she wants to make the 2020 Olympic team. Uh, so she said, I, I figure that she needs to win twice on the LPGA before the end of June if she wants to have a chance. So now that look at this. It's three opportunities no longer available. So if she is to defend her gold medal, she had to put down the pedal, and she delivered. She secured her 20th title on the LPGA, that three-stroke victory over Amy Olsen. She closed with a 74, and she called the conditions on the back nine at the Windy Adelaide brutal. Amy Olsen, who finished second at the 2018 Avian, is still searching for her first victory. She's been so close so many times. This one was just classic Inbe over her. Uh, Francis Perrin de la Cour posted a career best, solo third at 10 under. 28 players right now have reached the 20 win milestone on the LPGA, and Inbe has become just the second South Korean player to get to 20. Of course, the top one is Say Reed Pack with 25. But while Park has been long one of the greatest potters in golf, she was really struggling on the greens in recent years, which was really maybe the reason. Of course, we know she went through some injuries that she had to, to struggle with, but her putting was not up to vintage Inbe. But in Australia, that was her. This two-week stretch marked the first time that Parker has competed in Australia in six years because she typically starts the season later in the year but pushed up the timeline due to her Olympic goals. The Aussie Open right now has become her fourth tournament of the season. Uh, she had lost in a playoff to Gabby Lopez at the season opening Diamond Research Tournament of Champions. So right now, the way that it's looking for her to make the Olympics because the top four South Koreans in the Royal X rankings will qualify for Tokyo, provided that they are all ranked inside the top 15, which those who would currently qualify are Jin Young-ko, who's number one, Song Young-park, number two, Se Young-kim is number six, and then Lee Six, who's number nine. Inbe entered the Australian Open at 17 in the Rolex rankings. Right now, uh, she has moved up, but she's still not under the top four. So she had said early in the week that it's going to be harder to make that team than to win a medal. And I can understand that. I mean, to beat those four before June is going to be really tough. But, Fred, we can never count out uh, Amy Park. When she sets her goals in something, she really goes after yeah, um, you know, even though she was over par on Sunday, she still got the win in Australia. Uh, Royal Adelaide is a relatively short course, demands precision, and, of course, uh, Envy is very precise. And she usually is a great putter. And as you mentioned, she's kind of struggled with that the last two years. 
Um, but she said, you know, it was great. She was making putts that she hasn't made lately, and that gave her a really good feeling and, and uh, the feeling that she could win. Um, it didn't take long. You know, she said she wants to make the Olympics. Well, it didn't take long for her to start winning. Uh, you know, and she, evidently she's got her mind set on this thing. Um, the Koreans could have two teams in the Olympics. I mean, you know, that, that's not a problem. There's, there's so many, so much great talent there. Um, so she's, she started top post, I'm sorry, she started to post top tens. Now she's winning immediately. Um, she's after just three, uh, you know, after just so early, she's already won over 300 grand. Um, she's, she's just doing fantastic. Moves from 17 to 11 in the world already. So um, my only questions are, Carlos, uh, how many majors do we think we're going to see her win this year? You talk about her making the team. Don't you think if she wins the A&E Inspiration along with this, that'll be enough to get her up there and then she plays, you know, a couple more top tens or just plays solid? She should make the team. She should. And like I said, she needs to at least win one more time. The problem is that those four that are ahead of her can also win. So like yeah. Kim Young ko Song Young Park, Se Young Kim, and Lee Six, all four can win as well. So she needs some help. It's not like she has everything uh, like saying, okay, I'll win another one. She will definitely jump into the top ten, possibly passing Lee Six and becoming that top four. But we have to see what they do. It's not like she controls her fate going into it, but at least we're seeing her vintage in Bay Park, solid, uh, solid golf all around, uh, precise, being a good putter again. Uh, I wouldn't count her out of any tournament going forward. And uh, the, the question is for those young players that are ahead of her, maybe not so much for Sung Young Park, but for Ying Young Ko, Se Young Kim, and these six, that they know how competitive the South Koreans are, will they feel the pressure from Inbei yeah. Park coming after them? How yeah. will they handle yeah. that pressure? That is the question for them, because we know that Inbei is focused. She's solid. She's going for it. She's laser focused right now. I wouldn't count her out. Now, how are they, those four going to answer that back? That's what I want to see how it's going to play out before June. That's the other. That's a really good point. You know, she can play really well, but it's also a factor of one or two of the top four now start playing poorly and fall down a little bit, and she'll go around them. Um, you know, Carlos, I wouldn't bet against seeing her winning two majors this year and jumping back to number one. That that is not out of the realm of possibility. I, I that would not surprise me at all. But enough about Indy. Uh, Amy Olsen uh, was pretty happy with her runner-up this time. Her last runner-up finish came in the 2018 Evian when she had the lead and lost it. Uh, this week, she came in the Aussie Women's Open off two missed cuts, was only looking for consistency and improvement. A slight change in her putting stroke at the Vic Open last week served her well. Uh, she was in contention. She got a nice check. It really should set up her year from here. Uh, American women, how they fare this week? Well, Marina Alex was T4, Christy Kerr, T6. Christy Kerr, remember her? She's been around for like 50 years. Christina Kim started her second round with five consecutive birdies. I don't know if you saw that or not. Uh, but then, then over the last 13 holes, she carded five bogeys, so it even par round. I'd like to start off with five birdies and then screw it up with five bogeys. 
Uh, she did manage to hold together, finish T10, her best finish for a while. Uh, also have to get a plug-in for uh, my girl, Ohio native Jillian Hollis, who recorded a T13 finish in Australia, so it looks like she's off to a good start. Uh, what happened to Lydia Ko? You remember Lydia Ko? She used to win once in a while. Well, she missed another cut. I don't know if she's ever going to make it back, Carlos. Yeah, that's one of the players that we worried about what's going to happen with her. I mean, she was the world number one solid player. We would have said that she might be breaking records when all, all was going to be said and done. And definitely, I, I, I don't think, right now, she doesn't seem like she has what it takes to get back into those top uh, contending positions. Let's talk about the champion story now where Scott Perel, you know, last year he lost two opportunities of victory in playoffs. He did not play in the PGA Tour, and he did not turn professional until he was 31. But last year he lost in playoffs both times to Kevin Sutherland at the Rapid Scan System Classic and the Principal Charity Classic. One was an epic seven-hole playoff, and in the other one, Sutherland came from behind eight shots by shooting a 62 and beat him in the first hole. But he wasn't going to take that chance on Sunday at the Chop Classic. He birdied six of the first 12 holes to come back from five shots off the lead and went on to win the Classics country at the Classic Country Clubs at Lely Resort. And this is his third PGA Tour Champions victory. He tied the tournament record at 17 under on the par 71 course won $240,000, and uh, he finished with an 8-under to beat Bob Estes by two shots. Uh, he has vaulted up the leaderboard with birdies on four of his first seven holes and took the lead for good with birdies at the number 10 and number 12, and that was when Bernhard Langer had back-to-back -back bogeys at the number 9 and 10. Langer, by the way, was going for his record fourth win at Naples, he had birdied three of his first six holes to take the lead and look like, oh, my God, Langer is on his way. But then he lost momentum with those bogeys, didn't make a birdie on the back until the par 517, and finished tied for third with Sutherland at 13 under. Uh, another player that was hovering around the lead was Freddie Copples. But he really never made a run and bogey the final two holes, finished at eight under. Uh, Copples had won twice in Naples, finished second in his other appearance, but couldn't get it going on the back nine until the birdie at, nine, at 14. So, Fred, a fun story about Cody Perel. He, is, he doesn't really have a major championship pedigree as far as tour golf goes, but he has, still has one in a sense. I read this. Uh, he lives in a, uh, he's lived in Augusta, Georgia, since he was seven or eight and usually goes to the Masters. He even worked the scoreboard there when he was in high school. And he also met his wife, Mary, in Augusta, and she was able to see her husband win in person for the first time. So uh, that's his major side. But at least he, he finally won after one year off, and uh, Scotty Perel off to a good start in the Champions Tour. Yeah, uh, Perel has been playing about the most consistent golf uh, over the last couple of years on the Champions Tour. It seems uh, he's near the lead every week. So far this year, he was T12 at the Mitsubishi, uh, third in Morocco, and now the win at the Chubb. Uh, last year, he had uh, 10 top 10s with three runners-up and finished year eighth in the Charles Schwab Cup. Uh, looks like a, how he figured out how to turn those uh, second-place finishes into wins. 
In 94 starts on the Champions Tour, he has won over $5 million. Pretty good retirement gig there for, uh, for Scotty Perrell. Bob Estes, you said he finished a runner-up at a nice little 64 there on Sunday to, to shoot up the leaderboard. Uh, Lawner looks like he's back, ready to contend for another Charles Schwab Cup. He's even more uh, consistent than Perrell, maybe, except without a win yet, this year yet. In his three starts this year, he's got a sixth, fifth, and now a third. So he's trending. His next step's probably going to be a win. Freddie, you mentioned him, fell all the way down to eight, final round 70, couldn't uh, keep up the pace. Brett Quigley posted another top ten. He could be the guy to watch this year on the Champions Tour, Carlos. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's one player that's been, like, flying under the radar, but he can definitely be a surprise this year. Now to close it up, let's talk about the Corn Ferry Tour where Andrew Novak birdied a 17 and 18. Birdie birdie finish on Sunday to get his first professional victory at the Lacombe Suncoast Classic. They played it at the Lakewood Ranch, Florida. He started that final round at 17 under. He was tied with Jack McGuire. Both of them were one shot behind Peter Uline. You say Peter Uline, Corn Ferry Tour, leading after 54 holes. That's his to lose. And he did, because Novak's second 66 of the weekend was enough to hold off that final round 64s that John Chin and Taylor Montgomery did in that final round to charge on their own. Novak had a 64 of his own on Friday's second round, but it was his birdie on that 215-yard par 317 and the 473-yard par 418 on Sunday that he was able to clinch the victory as he was able to catch and then pass Shin at the finish line. Peter Uline shot a 74 on Sunday, not too good. He dropped all the way down to T20 for his finish. Fred now Novak finished at 22 under, earned his first professional win one week after he finished T9 at Bogota. Prior to that, interesting, he had missed the cut in two of three Corn Ferry Tour events this season. So how about this win by Andrew Novak? Yeah, the big story here is Peter Uline uh, really uh, spitting the bit on Sunday. Uh, 74 dropped at T20. That, uh, that's going to leave a mark. Um, he was the favorite there. He's a PGA Tour guy, you know, slumming down on the Corn Ferry Tour because he didn't get an invite uh, to, uh, to the Genesis. Um, he should have won this thing. That, uh, that's a big loss. We've got to watch that. That could have lasting uh, consequences for Peter Uline. Uh, Andrew Novak started the day in uh, second place, 66, got the win, held off John Chin, Taylor Montgomery, both fired 64s. Uh, so, you know, again, while you while you shooting a 74, that is not good. Uh, what I want to mention also, Carlos, uh, with Corn Ferry Tour is they announced that uh, Tony Romo is going to get another start on the Corn Ferry Tour in the uh, Veritex Bank Championship that's going to be held there at the uh, – Texas Rangers Golf Club in Arlington, Texas, um, this uh, in April, actually, 16th through the 19th. be one of 156 players playing for the 600 grand on the newly renovated uh, course in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So uh, Tony Romo going to get another chance to play a little professional golf. <laughs> Let's see if he makes the cut finally. We'll see. But anyway, with that, that we wrap up our weekend. I'm sorry? 
I doubt it. You what? <laughs> the odds oh. the odds are not good that oh. he'll make a cut. Put the seal on it. He won't make it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, with that, we wrap up our weekend back. And now let's talk about what's going to happen this next weekend. When on the forecourt, we talk first about the PGA Tour, really the only t- tour that is going to be playing, but they have to combine WGC with the European Tour. So the much-loved WGC Mexico Championship is going to return to our screens this week, and it is always with World Golf Championships, a stellar field has been assembled. I mean, players teeing it up at the Chapultepec Golf Club, vying for the lion's share of the $10.5 million purse, include world number one, Roy McIlroy, number three, John Ram, and the defending champion, Dustin Johnson. However, something that can't really be ignored is the number of big-name stars choosing to skip the event. Tiger Woods is missing. Nowhere to be found. Brooks Koepka, he's not there. Justin Rose, Ricky Fowler, Jason Day, and Henrik Stenson. Oh, by the way, Patrick Cantley's not there, but he's out injured. It's a great chance for players to bank those much-needed Ryder Cup, official world golf ranking, and Olympic points. One thing that perhaps... uh, they don't need is the money. I mean, evidence the fact that they're skipping a no-cut event that last year offered $1.745 million to the winner and over 48000 to the last place finisher. Woods, of course, it will be missed in Mexico this week at an event that has really captured the hearts of the golf fans since the tournament moved there from Doral. Let's hope this week's event can still be an entertaining one, which it surely will be with the likes of Rory, DJ Ram, and Justin Thomas in town. Uh, I'll be looking for John Ram, who has a chance to usurp McElroy at the top of the rankings if he wins. But also McElroy has a couple of points to prove after those two close calls in his first two starts this year. Uh, He also finished runner-up to DJ here in 2019. Uh, Fred, the new schedule changes that were brought in last year have seen wholesale changes to how players plan their years. And with the Olympics this year, we continue to say players are having to be more brutal with it than ever. So it looks like the WGC Mexico may have bared the brunt of what is going to be a very busy 2020, or is it some, some other reason why they're skipping this big patron. I think you've hit the nail on the head, Carlos. Um, and you make a really good point to compress schedule for sure. But the other part of that is that the guys have really responded to Tiger and the Genesis Open. Uh, for him to get that many guys to come there and play last week in L.A., um, you know, you can say, well, Riviera is a great track and they all love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. L.A. is a great city. Everybody loves to go to L.A. No, not everybody loves to go to L.A. Uh, but if Tiger Woods calls you up and says, hey, I'd love to have you come and play in the uh, Genesis Championship in L.A., um, those guys are going to go. And that's exactly what's happening. And like you say, now with the compressed schedule, they've got to take some time off somewhere. And this, who wants to go to Mexico and play? You know, they don't, they don't need the money. We talked about that at the end of last year. The money is just it's like monopoly money. It's, it's ridiculous. 
And so even though they can go and finish last and get, what, 100 grand or whatever, um, they're not going to bother. They, they just don't need it. It doesn't mean that much to them. So uh, it's a combination of things, Carlos, but uh, the compressed schedule is, is kind of at the, uh, at, at, the, at, the, at the heart of it. Uh, you mentioned Rory. Remember last year, Rory got off to that great start. What do you have, like eight top tens or something uh, before he won the, uh, the players? Um, so um, this is not unusual. I mean, he's just it's kind of like business as normal uh, for Rory right at the minute, posting top tens. Um, he keeps putting himself in position. He's going to win. And as you mentioned, Carlos, the big story this week are the guys that aren't there, and we already talked about that. Without Brooks, without Ricky, without Tiger, without – Rose without Jason Day without Stenson, um, yeah they still got great guys. Dustin Johnson is is defending. Um, you've got maybe another little storyline that hey can Abraham answer who played so well in the Presidents Cup? Uh, could this be his week to win a big one at home in Mexico? Um, so you know that's that's kind of the thing that I'm seeing. Um, the other part of that is Dustin Johnson has not won since he won here last year. Um, and, you know, he has at least one win on the PGA Tour every year. Now he's got a lot of year left, uh, although I think the season is getting close to half over. Um, so he's got at least one win every year since the Tour in 2008. He has a total of 20 wins. As soon as he gets 15 seasons in, which he needs a couple more years, he's going to be awarded a lifetime membership. But um, yeah, there's not a lot to talk about at this event but the main story lies is the guys that aren't there, Carlos, and why they're not there. Definitely. And uh, the other storyline to remember, John Ram wins, and he has a good chance to become the world number one for the first time in his career. Now let's talk about the other tournament that's going to be this weekend, also on the PGA Tour. It's the opposite field, because with many of the top golfers in Mexico, at the WGC, the alternate field of up-and-comers is going to be led by Victor Hovland at the 2020 Puerto Rico Open at Cocoa Beach and Golf and Country Club. New this season was a reduction in field size for alternate field to just 120 golfers. As a result, just eight golfers cracked the field through the beyond 150 category. There were 25 golfers from this category in last year's Puerto Rico open field. Well, this more efficient field is good for gamers and viewers because a much larger percentage of the field really has a legitimate chance to contend this week. The cuts made expectations should line up with last week's Genesis Invitational since it's another 120 man field with top 65 and ties playing for the weekend. Now, the week's winner will not receive an invitation to the 2020 Masters Tournament, but let me tell you one thing that you may not know about the Puerto Rico Open. I can tell you because that was my home, and I went, used to win there, and I have played there at that uh, Cocoa Beach and Con- uh, Golf and Country Club. It's a 7,506-yard long tournament. So if you want to win there, there are four things that you have to be good at. Strokes gained off the tee, strokes gained in approach. Birdies are better game and good drives gained. The course is tricky. So given all this and how much I know about the course and the tournament, I have to tell you that my pick to win this, this tournament 
is this year's Rookie of the Year. I'm saying it. It is going to be him. Victor Hoffman will earn his first pro win. I am saying it here today, Tuesday, February 18, 2020. He's a top <laughs> golfer in attendance. While, he, you know, this win won't get him to Augusta National, it could propel him to better play. You might remember that was the case with Colin Morikawa's victory at last year's Barracuda Championship that ran as an alternate event to the WGC FedEx St. Jude Invitational. Uh, he missed a cut in the three of his last five against, events, but that has been against different competition on the PGA and European tours. But hey, he tied for 38th at the AT&T Pebble Beach Program, and he's definitely the class on the field. He'll look to follow suit of Tony Fino and his breakout win in 2016. For other players to watch, Alex Noren is going to be there, Patrick Rogers, Tom Lewis, Cameron Davis, Maverick McNeil, Emiliano Grillo, Jonathan Vegas, and watch out for any former winner here, especially Scott Brown, who's been playing very well good. He was just tied for third uh, last week uh, at the Genesis, and Chesson Hadley also that plays very well there in Puerto Rico. Yeah, Chesson Hadley is one there on the uh, on the uh, Wells Web.com then, but now the Corn Ferry Tour. Um, yeah, I like Scott Brown this late week. I like Maverick McNeely, but most of all, I like Victor Hovland. So uh, look for him to do real well, Carlos. Okay, with that, we wrap up our four call. So tell us a little bit about Boeing. Baby, it's cold and snowy outside right now at the Boyne Resort, but they are offering hot, hot deals for golf this summer on their 10 courses, all by top-name designers. They have a course to suit every player. Visit their website and check out the Champions Golf Package or their Unlimited Golf Package. Both provide for a great golf. And, of course, you can dine in any of the restaurants take a lesson from the Boyne Academy, or soothe those aching muscles at any of the three spas at the three Boyne locations. Start your golf season off in luxury with a stay at the Inn of Bay Harbor. There's 18 holes of golf. Uh, you get breakfast for two each day. You've got to go check these, uh, check these deals out. So don't forget, Boyne has three spas plus a multitude of outdoor activities. Makes Boyne one of the premier vacation resorts in the country. And don't forget the little lady. Bring her along as well. You don't have to just go on a buddy's trip. It's a great place for couples or family. Call 855-813-2109. That's 855-813-2109. Or make your reservations by visiting boyne.com forward slash golf. That's boyne, B-O-Y-N-E, dot com forward slash golf. Tell them back nine reports. Sent you, Carlos Becky. All right, and now let's move on to the Par 5 News every week for the Pick 5 topics of news worthy of mentioning. And we're going to start talking about Aaron Rodgers, who participated the previous weekend in the Pebble Beach Pro-Am Tournament. That is a charity event. Professional golfers and celebrity golfers play together to raise money for various charities. Rodgers shows the Wounded Warriors Project as his charity. Rodgers is known for many things. He's a Super Bowl champion, two-time MVP, known for his amazing throws, calm demeanor in the pocket, those endorsement commercials. Uh, some people will talk about him and his strange family, how he, call, uh, how he fights with them. Uh, some people say, well, you know, he's not that great of a person. I really don't know him, so I cannot judge him, and I wouldn't anyway, but I know him for his 
things that he does on the sporting field. And one of the things that we know about him is that he's a strong supporter of the military, especially veterans, and that's why he shows the Wounded Warriors Project. If you want to know more about why, I recommend you to see a post he did last year on the Players' Tribune. When he, he called it something bigger. It was him uh, talking about how he came to know about the Wounded Warriors. He was playing a few years uh, back in Carlsbad, California. He was getting fitted for new gloves. And just before he went out to the driving range, somebody told him that he would be sharing the range that day. He said, oh, great. I mean, who's coming? They told him the Wounded Warriors. And he said that he then he started explaining about the appreciation that he's had for men and women who served the, the military. His grandfather was active duty in the Air Force during the Second World War. His plane was shut down. He came home after nine. He was a prisoner of war for nine months and came home with a Purple Heart and a Silver Star. Uh, when he died, he said that he was 13, so he really never got a chance to know him on that intellectual level. Uh, that would have led him to understand the gravity of those stories that he was telling him. But it really l led him for knowing, as far as he can remember, to earn that appreciation for the military. And he saw those players there on the range that day. And he was saying that there was amputees and those type of, uh, of uh, former soldiers that were just like nothing happened. They were following their lives. And some of them, you know, were willing to go back in action. So it really uh, developed that uh, feeling for respect for the military. And Fred, he donated all his golf earnings in, during that tournament to the Wounded Warriors Project. So, uh, I mean, my hat's off to Aaron Rodgers, a great charity. Uh, I'm all for anything that is uh, military-driven. So, you know, I, I totally applaud what he did there for the Wounded Warriors Project. Well, the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am is a big deal for amateurs without any question. Uh, they get to play a long flight of tour professional for, uh, you know, for their three or four rounds if they qualify for the final round. An amateur spot is highly sought after. Uh, and this is, as you mentioned, after all a charity event, the celebrities use their golf game or lack thereof to raise money for various causes. Um, Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers participated in the hole-in-one competition early in the week. Uh, Rodgers finished second behind country singing star Jake Owen, but ahead of a Peyton Manning, Steve Young, Eli Manning, Tony Romo, and Larry Fitzgerald. Maybe Aaron should be getting uh, exemptions into uh, uh, Corn Ferry Tour events instead of Romo. Uh, the runner-up finished, uh, earned him 20000 which he promptly donated to the Wounded Warrior Project. And so the uh, Wounded Warrior Project, the Folds of Honor, they're, they're both doing great work for military veterans and their families. The Wounded Warrior Project helps veteran U.S. military personnel that need additional medical attention or other help. Their mission is to provide for veterans who incurred a physical or mental injury, illness, or wound while serving in the military on or after September 11, 2001. So, like you, Carlos, we applaud uh, Aaron Rodgers for this uh, great donation. I know he can afford it, but nonetheless, it's great. Uh, just applaud him for doing that. 
Most definitely. Hey, now let's talk about Tommy Two Gloves Ganey. You know what? He won't be facing jail time for that recent solicitation arrest after agreeing instead to serve 11 months of probation. You might remember, and we talked about this and it's widely known, that he was arrested in December, charged with a first degree misdemeanor for soliciting a prostitute. That was part of a massive prostitution sting in Florida. They duped it <laughs> Operation Santa Naughty List. That led to that led to more than 120 arrests. He was caught on a video. You you can say this anywhere on the internet. He was agreeing to pay an undercover cop sixty dollars for sex, according to Golf Digest uh, in his report. Ganey won't serve any time behind bars, but will take a human trafficking class, serve 100 hours of community service, and pay fines and fees, totaling $6,218 with 60 cents in addition to his probation term. Now, that's not all, Fred. Upon completion, prosecutors will drop the first-degree misdemeanor charge and potentially end his probation early. So... I think he got lucky, Tommy Two Gloves. Uh, what you think, Fred? Well, yeah, it was a sting operation. So, you know, I, of all the things in the world that are, you know, that are bad and terrible, um, you know, he's not hurting anybody. I guess human trafficking is an issue in these things, and that's why they're doing all this. So, um, and I'm sure the fines hurt, and the 11 months probation is a, a bother, and going to the human trafficking class and serving 100 hours of community service and all that's well and good and, and good for him. Jails are full. They don't need to be sending Tommy Gain to jail. Uh, but <laughs> way worse than all this stuff was the consequences uh, that uh, he probably uh, uh, realized when uh, he had to explain all this to his wife and kids at the end of last year, right before Christmas. So uh, I don't, I don't envy him that uh, any way, shape, or form. So I'm, I, he'll be glad to pay the fines and do the time, uh, and he won't want to go through that explaining deal again. I'm sure to his family, Carlos. Yeah, I think that that was the worst part of it. I mean, your wife finds out about this. How you face that? Your wife and kids saw saw you, and then you're you're gonna have to say, well, honey, I wanted to pay sixty dollars. <laughs> I, I'm not even going to go into it. Uh, it's just... Uh, yeah. yeah, we better, I, I, we better I, not go there. <laughs> no, 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 no. I can't. I can't even imagine. I, I prefer. I, I would prefer guys put me in jail. I cannot go back to my wife and explain this. No way. You would probably... You, would probably, you, you might want to fear for your life. I've met your wife, so you might want to yeah. fear for your life if you do that's something what, like that. That's why I tell you, guys, I belong in jail. No, sir, you, you can go home. Well, yeah. gonna get, no, 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 you don't understand. I need the jail. Throw I me need in protection. There. <laughs> Protected <me> custody. <laughs> yeah. There you <So>. go. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, let's, let's close it there. Let's move on now to some good news. Uh, and, and this one I am actually posted. I'm going to send my wife via email. Exactly. She must know, and every wife out there should know, and every husband as well. I mean, what better thing than to both play together? Playing a round of golf at least once a month, or preferably weekly if you can. You know what? 
is going to lower your risk of early death. Playing once a month can lower the risk of death among older adults. That is according to preliminary research presented at the American Stroke Association International Stroke Conference in L.A. The study was conducted by CNET Qureshi Stroke Institute and claims that a few rounds can offer lots of health benefits like reducing stress and regular exercise. There were 5,900 participants in that study with an average age of 72 some 384 people regularly played. So during the follow-up, researchers found that there was no difference in the rates of heart attacks or strokes between regular golfers and non-golfers. But however, when the death rate was compared, golfers had a 9% lower rate compared to a 24%. That's almost three times less. So... The big guy there, was uh, his name is Dr. Atnan Qureshi. He was the lead author and executive director and professor of neurology at the University of Missouri in Columbia. Uh, he said, and I'm going to quote him because I don't want to misquote him. This is very important. Regular exercise, exposure to a less polluted environment, and social interactions provided by golf are all positive for health. Another positive is that older adults can continue to play golf unlike other more strenuous sports such as football, boxing, and tennis. Additional positive aspects are stress relief and relaxation, which golf appears better suited than other sports. End of quote. I I think we can drop the mic right there. We got a winner. (laughs) That's it. The guy. Well, you got to. You got to sell. You got to sell that one to your wife again, Carlos, so you can get out to the golf course a little bit more. Um, hey, you know, what's golf better is, than the doctor saying that? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know. Golf is is good for your health. They they've confirmed it. There's study now. You can see. Uh, unless I'm going to put a caveat on it. Unless you're struck with a nine iron by your wife for playing around too much. Maybe not even playing golf. Maybe playing around other things too much. Kind of like, you know, Fred, Fred, but I have I have a caveat to your caveat. You know, because okay, that could okay. be a good thing. Because you can start running, which really exercises you. Your heart rate <laughs> will go up. You know, so it, it's a good thing. It's also, so, you know, there's there a caveat to it. Yeah, the uh, the numbers are there uh, according to this guy. Um, um, you know, 9.8 uh, only had heart attacks versus 24.6 of the non-golfers. So, and then uh, 8.1% um, had strokes of the golfers versus 15.1 of the non-golfers. So, uh, double uh, for non-golfing. So, um, the data is all well and good, but if you're a hacker like me, whose blood pressure drastically increases after a poorly hit iron shot and miss five footer for par or an unusually bad day on the golf course, I would argue that the chances of a stroke or heart attack are greatly increased, Carlos. If you survive after that, your your heart is stronger, so don't worry about it. You're is good. that it? What it's I really, kind of like when you're yeah. working that muscle? Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. Remember, the heart is a muscle, so that's how it works. I mean, the more stress you put into it, the, the stronger it will get. So. But really, okay. what I don't understand, you know what it is that despite – 
and this is, of course, and we've talked about this before, the National Golf Foundation said that there's 25 million Americans playing golf right now. So, but despite that and the opportunity for regular exercise that our sport promotes, the U.S. Department of Health still does not consider golf to be worthy enough of a place on the government's list of sports yeah. that qualify as yeah. a legitimate way to work out. Yeah. Come on, people. Yeah. I need that. That's the final nail in the coffin to really make this a good, a good article. But anyway, that's one let's those, move on to the that's next. One of those things that, <laughs> yeah. that, that's one of those things that Fit America keeps lobbying for, you know, to get uh, golf memberships and all these kind of things as a, as a deduction, as kind of like a, a fitness kind of thing uh, for a medical exemption. And uh, you're exactly right. It's not on the list. Yeah, we have to lobby for that. But anyway, um, Fred, uh, Jeff Shackelford said, uh, has some interesting insight, like you said, onto the new TV contracts that the PGA Tour is working. And uh, the, the interesting thing is that apparently uh, sources are saying that the PGA Tour uh, wants to be the one that handles the operation and production of the TV product. So the networks will retain production independence with the final product, along with familiar voices, producing announcers, graphics, replay, and other extras beyond the world feed that they will be providing. So that way, the PGA Tour will control really all that live streaming presentation, which is one of the things that people often criticize and attributed as underproduced. Uh, they will be like, okay, here's your product. You can comment on it. You can have everything that you want, but I'm going to control what is going to come out. They know what they want to produce. They know what they want to present. So it's going to be a key. I think this is the reason why it's taking a little bit longer because uh, PGA Tour, NBC, Golf Channel, and CBS uh, have always been the ones producing the content, controlling all the operation. But now it's just going to be the final product that the networks are going to retain. So the PGA Tour can then also give that product to anybody else. Otherwise, they would not, if the CBS, if the, the NBC Golf Channels and CBS will be the ones to do that, then they would not be able to give it to whoever they want it afterwards. So I think that is the card, the card on this deal that is holding it so far from progressing. But it's something that I think not only the PGA Tour, but all the other major uh, sports are moving towards and are doing already their own production to control everything there. And that way, if they need to move after this uh, contract to anybody else, it's just easy. They already have the infrastructure in place. It's just I am the producer who wants the content. So I, I think it's a very good move by the PGA Tour. Well, if you're the PGA Tour, it's a very good move. Uh, my question is, isn't this more of a form of censorship? I mean, the PGA Tour, they have a history of wanting to control everything. I mean, they're they're like one step below Augusta National on controlling everything in their in the world, right? Um, do we really want 
the Major League Baseball or the NFL or the PGA Tour controlling every aspect of the production? You know, we said, you know, last year when these contract talks were starting, we've been talking the last two years, the PGA Tour has everything in place to produce their own broadcasts. They don't need CBS, NBC, Golf Channel, ESPN. They don't need all that anymore. Uh, they've got Golf TV. They've got, uh, you know, Discovery Channel for international stuff. They've got everything they need to do it themselves, but they're still wanting to play ball with CB, with the networks. So, but they want to control the games. So, Carlos, my question, you said you think it's a good deal for the PGA. It is a good deal for the PGA Tour, but is it a good deal for the fan? That's my question. Well, uh, if you see it this way, yes, the PGA Tour has the infrastructure, and they're just wanting to build on it. They just don't have the avenue to do the complete production and reach everybody else, which is what NBC, Golf Channel, and CBS, and whoever else they're negotiating with will get, will give them. Now, yeah, I, I see your point that they're going to be controlling everything, and they have been uh, a control freak. Uh, but at the same time, if I were the the, the networks, and I think this is where the problem is, and I, I I have to agree with you. Maybe the problem right now is what they want as the final product to be. Okay, I will present it, but I need to have access to this part, to this other part. I want to I want you to to give it to me. Otherwise, I cannot produce product out there. So yeah, I don't think the networks are gonna cave in and say, okay, whatever you want is what we're gonna present because otherwise, like you're saying, why you need me? Because if you are the one who's gonna control everything and you're gonna have the the product, you don't need me for anything. You need me for your for my money. That's what they need them for, so they can have the money of the rights of what they're gonna be producing. But I I I don't think the networks are that naive to say, okay, it's just whatever you want that we're going to put in here. Because they're ultimately, they're the ones who are going to be criticized by what it's being uh, as the end product, which is what they're going to control, because they will rec uh, retain production, production independence with the final product. So they need a good product to put it out there. Otherwise, they're not going to pay them. They're going to say, okay, you go ahead. Uh, I mean, I don't need that. Yeah, um and I don't know that they need the network's rights fees because the network's rights fees comes from the sponsorships and advertising. The PGA Tour can cut out the middleman there, who are the networks, pocket it all themselves. They can go right to these guys and say, you know, pay me instead of paying them. They can be seen. that They, they have everything in place to create their own golf channel. They, they, don't, they don't need the golf channel. They have their own stuff. that They could have it up and running probably in 30 to 60 days, if so I've been told. Also, when you've got places like YouTube TV, you've got like Amazon TV, you've got Roku, you've got a couple other big players out there, do, do they really need the networks to put their product on? If they're going to create it, if they're going to produce it, and it's their product, why do they even need the network? They, there, there are other channels, there are other platforms out there to use, um, and maybe that's what they're looking at. So maybe they're saying, hey, you, you guys go along with this, 
or we're just going to do this other thing because we're going to control this content. So to me, Carlos, I mean, this is really interesting. We've been talking about this now for probably about a year and a half, and it's really getting good. I, I, I'm really curious to see how this thing ends up because I personally know of a golf tournament this year that has said no to Golf Channel. We're not paying you. We're going to go out, and uh, we're going to live stream it on some other things, some other platforms. We can't afford to pay you guys. We don't need you. You there, Carlos? Are you on mute? Yeah, I was uh, – yeah, sorry about that. Uh, okay. Like okay. I was – I was trying to say when I was muted, uh, <laughs> they still have to get some rights, even if they're going to go through YouTube TV or they're going to be on Sling TV or any other. Those are still other networks type products. So they cannot right. just go out and say, I'm just going to play it there. They, they're going to yeah, you don't think a Sling or have... YouTube or are, 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 they're going to jump over with joy at the PGA Tour comes and say, we want you to play on your platform. They will, but still, they need to present a product out there. It's like they cannot say, okay, I'm going to present it, but, hey, I, I need to retain some independence on it. No network out there, no one is going to tell them, okay, just, sure, just broadcast. Otherwise, they're going to be the ones going at it alone. They might have infrastructure to, to produce, but they still need an avenue to present it. And that's where, otherwise, this would have been done already. If they would have been yeah. that way, they would have done yeah. it already. They would have said, okay, let yeah. me just go forget it. I don't need you. But they really know that their only blockage right now is they don't have that avenue to go out and produce it like the way it should be. If they would have it, they wouldn't be uh, holding off still onto this uh, contract. But anyway, like you mentioned, we've been talking about it for over a year and a half, and this is just getting interesting. Uh, we'll see pretty soon, I think, more on it. But it was a nice uh, take, I think, from Jeff Chaco for it. And, of course, like you say, that's the advantage PGA Tour right there. Uh, we'll see how it goes with the, with the networks afterwards. Let's close the, let's close the Par 5 News Talking about Renee Powell, who was selected as the recipient of the Charlie Barlett Award by the Golf Writers Association of America, which you are part of. Uh, this award is given to a professional, uh, playing professional, because of his some selfish contributions to the betterment of society. At the age of 73, Powell will be honored at the GWAA's annual dinner on the eve of the Masters on April 8th in Augusta, Georgia. Others that have been feted that night, that will be feted that night, includes Player of the Year Bruce Kepka, Dean Young-Ko, and Scotty McCarron, Ben Hoger Award winner Patrick Cantley, and ASAP Sports Jim Mira Award winner Adam Scott. Powell was the second African-American to play on the LPGA Tour. Right now, she remains the head pro at Clearview Golf Club an East Canton course built by her late father, William Powell, now on the National Register of Historic Places. Nine years ago, Powell launched Clearview Hope, a therapeutic and recreational program which is for female veterans, many of them suffering from PTSD. Powell was among those groundbreaking women given honorary membership into the RNA Golf Club of St. Andrews, Scotland, 
And back in 2008, Fred, she received an honorary doctorate from the University of St. Andrews and had a residence hall named after her, one of the pioneers and very well-deserving winner of this Charlie Bartlett Award. Well, as you know, this is a subject near and dear to my heart. Uh, Renee Powell is a true legend in the game of golf. Plus, she's from Ohio. Uh, this is simply the latest in a series of well-deserved awards for Ms. Powell. As you mentioned, she was the second African-American woman to qualify for the LPGA Tour, and she saw more than her share of racial, racial bias as she was traveling around the country playing golf. Uh, she's devoted her life to teaching the game to thousands of young people, and now military veterans at her Clearview Golf Club outside of Canton. She's, you know, really done a great job with that uh, Project Hope, uh, and she works a lot with uh, with female military veterans. You know that have they have the same PTSD, the same kind of problems that uh, the men veterans have. Um, she's taken. Uh, she's mentored young black golfers. She's taken several trips to Africa to bring the game to African children. Um, as you mentioned, she was honored by the RNA as one of the first seven women named RNA members. Uh, the Charlie Bartlett Award is given to a playing professional for his or her unselfish contributions to the betterment of society. And through her years of teaching, she is certainly deserving of this award. Carlos, I, I've had the opportunity to talk to Renee a couple times. Uh, we've had her on the show. And uh, she's just a wonderful, wonderful person. Uh, any award that she gets, she's gotten uh, you know, a couple of awards from the PGA in addition to all these other things. And, and uh, her father was a great story, starting that golf course, building it after World War II. Banks wouldn't lend him money uh, because he was African-American. Uh, he couldn't even get money through the, uh, through the military programs that he should have been able to get money through. Um, but uh, it's just a great, great story and a great, great life in and through golf. So congratulations to a uh, women's golf legend and great Ohioan Renee Powell. <laughs> and with that, we wrap up our par five news. And now we move on to the practice range. We won't have a VIG important guest of the week, but we do have the practice range where every week Fred and I pick a topic and each one of us give our own shots at it. This week, we're going to be expanding on our talks about the USGA and RNA distance report from last week. And uh, Fred, I'm going to give you the first take on it. Uh, we're going to talk about Bryson DeChambeau, Phil Mickelson, their opinions. Uh, I mean, this is not ending yet. and uh, it's, We're just getting started. So uh, go ahead. Take the first take on this one. Well, my first take, I started earlier in the show talking about Riviera and uh, how it just kind of blows their whole argument out of the water when a course like Riviera, you know, that's over 100 years old, is still, uh, you know, confounds even the best golf balls, the greatest equipment made, and the best fit golfers of all time. Uh, they still can't tear it up. So uh, this argument is kind of like the historic chicken or the egg uh, kind of thing, you know, which came first. Uh, the equipment is better, so the fitter guys can hit a farther, or the fitter guys hit a farther because they took the time to get more physically fit. Um, you know, Bryson DeChambeau made headlines last fall when he took a couple of months off in the offseason to bulk up. And uh, if you look at him today, he looks like the Hulk. Um, golfers in the past have done that, 
but they lost their games. So, and this is why the fitness is so much better today. We understand about flexibility and not just building bulking up bulk muscle. Um, in the past, guys' scores shuffered. Johnny Miller was one of the guys. When he decided to bulk up, his scores really went down. A couple other golfers uh, that I can name that uh, uh, really suffered, their game went down after they decided to lift weights and get heavier. We can go clear back to uh, Frank Stranahan before Gary Player, who was a, a muscle builder and, and really believed in that, and it really helped his game. Gary Player uh, was a, uh, a, you know, a, a doctor, and he, he believed in that, and he followed right along after Frank Strahan has, and has been fit his whole life. But, you know, back in the day, um, persimmon woods, rather than the technology advanced combination of metals that make the clubs lighter, better balanced, and custom fit to every swing today, um, the, the, the combination of the equipment today, the guys can swing harder. My point is with persimmon woods, you had to be a little more careful. I mean, Jack Nicklaus used to swing like at 80% of his ability just because he had to, the, the ball came off those woods different, and the ball was different back then. It moved a lot more left and right. It didn't go nearly as straight as it goes today. So, and Phil Mickelson is truly a, uh, you know, he's a child of distance. You know, he wants to hit bombs, you know. And, and Phil said, you know, you look at what Bryson has done, getting in the gym, getting after it, lifting weights, hitting bombs. Um, now you're trying to talk about rolling it back because he's made himself a better athlete? I hate seeing athletes be punished or discouraged from continuing to work and get better. So that is a problem with this distance thing. If these guys are going to get fit and they're going to get stronger and they've decided that distance is the thing that they need, now you're really, you know, you're really hampering them. So, um, I don't know, Carlos, I, I guess I have more questions, you know. And the thing that set this all off is DeChambeau made a statement in a tweet. Um, he said, you know, um, we're going to see the game be more like a happy Gilmore setting. Um, you know, where guys just hit it far and hit it up by the green and just chip it on or putt, and, and that's all there is. But um, I, don't, I don't know if that's going to be the case. Um, and, and golf courses, of course, of course, make the difference, tell the tale. Like I say, I just keep going back to Riviera. We saw last week there are a couple of the golf courses, Muirfield Village, uh, Harbortown. Uh, they're tighter tracks. You, don't, you, you can't bomb it there. You have to play it in certain spots. So, uh, Carlos, the key points here in this, uh, I guess, is Bryson's off-season workout where he bulked up. He is leading the tour and drives over 315 yards, so it is working for him. Um, there are different courses that, that maybe take distance away a little bit already. So, uh, and also another point I want to make is that soft courses versus hard golf courses make a big difference. If you're playing in Australia and Europe where it's uh, – where it's drier and you're playing links-type golf on really hard ground, the ball rolls, distance maybe isn't the issue. You have to keep it in play. You have to keep it in a certain place. If you're playing on a soft golf course, you can just bomb it out there. You don't have to worry about bouncing into the woods or bouncing in away into the rough or bouncing out of bounds. So um, for the average golfer, this is all moot point. We're talking about, as Rory says, we're talking about the, uh, you know, 1% or 2% of golfers in the world that uh, – that hit it far enough that really make a dish difference. So, uh, Carlos, uh, this whole argument is that uh, is golf going to become like Happy Gilmore where they slap it down there 350 yards or 400 yards all the time, 
and um, it's nothing like we play as average golfers. If you want to hit the ball farther and be all about the long drives, go to the long drive championship. That's where you belong. That's not golf. Golf is a set of skills. You have to play an all-around golf. I mean, Phil Mickelson's argument about, oh, I hate punishing guys for going to the gym. You are not going to stop going to the gym. I have never in the history of golf seen somebody fat and overweight being the top stars or being the most uh, amount of players in the golf course. It's just ridiculous to say that you are punishing uh, athletes for going to the gym. No, you're not, Phil. You still have to go to the gym because you cannot make those swings without going to the gym every single day, doing exercises, practicing every day. It's just going to happen. It's ridiculous to say that you're punishing because you want to bulk up. You want to bulk up, go ahead and go lift weights, go into a competition for that. If you want to be hitting it hard and long, okay, go to the long drive championship competitions. That's where that is. Golf courses, yet all few and far in between. Most of the golf courses are getting only ridiculously having to be expanded to try to compete with this. That is just not golf. That's not happening in Europe. Why, when you put a course like that one that has a, has a lot of obstacles, has a, a long, uh, oh, my God, long rough and uh, all those things, players start complaining. Oh, this is not golf. I can't play here. <laughs> Phil Mickelson is the first one that complains about it. I'm not ever going to play. He did it that in, in the, the golf national. This is not a golf course. I will never play here again. That's what they say because all they want is to hit the to have wide fairways, long drives, and that's all there is. No, that's ridiculous. That's just not golf. So to me, that argument doesn't go anywhere. Either you're a good all-around golfer, make it equal for everyone, or just don't because otherwise you're just making it a long drive distance competition instead of really a tournament for golf. But really. I don't see the point. You still have to go to the gym. You still have to do the work every single week, every single day. So, Phil, it's not about punishing anyone. You still have to go. Still have to go. So, I don't see it. I don't see it. They have to control this. Otherwise, that is why golf is really losing interest. I'm not going to go there if I have to hit it that far as people are trying to do. No, I want to have equal way of competing with everybody and that is the only way to do it is just shortening the ball that's the way to do it well i think you uh, i think you and the usga and the rna pretty much agree that that's probably what's going to happen i think that's probably going to be the first thing and i probably i wouldn't be surprised if they limit the driver somehow um you know the shafts or something uh, to try and roll those back at least maybe 10 or 15 or maybe even 20%. Um, but, um, you know, the, it, Carlos, this is an issue that, and I don't know, I mean, the, the, you can be on either side. There's very few people in the middle. You're either one way or another, and you're vehement to argue on, you know, on your side. So if you're in the PGA Tour and you're in the entertainment business, your idea is that you want those guys hitting long drives and you want to make a lot of birdies because that's what sells on TV. Um, 
I don't know. I I I I enjoyed watching Riviera last week. And I told you earlier in the season I was not excited about watching golf. I and I and, and I'm never like that. I always love watching, especially Hawaii and when they come to the West Coast, I love watching golf there. Um and this year I just couldn't get that excited about it. But I was excited about watching the Genesis. I did watch a little bit of Pebble Beach. Um but um the Riviera was really confusing those guys. Um, whether it was the wind, I mean, it, it looked it looked pretty decent. The temperature was good. It wasn't too hot. It wasn't too cold. Uh, evidently, there was just enough wind and breeze that really confused them. But uh, and then I think maybe more the Kikuyu grass as well. But but uh, the greens, tremendous uh, break, and uh, it was hard to read those greens. And they've played there enough; they should know them by heart. But uh, the, the golf course really showed to me that you don't have to hit it 300 yards. It doesn't matter if you want it 300 yards; you can. But that's not going to help you score better that much. And you're better off hitting a certain spot than hitting a certain spot on the green to give yourself the right kind of putt. Now you go to a place like Augusta National; very little rough there, wide fairways. You can just bomb it out there throw wedges or eight irons into those par five greens. And yeah, you should, I mean, you should, you should shoot 68 there pretty much every time just because you're getting four under on the, on the four par fives. If you can just par everything else. So um, I don't know, Carlos, I don't, again, I don't have, excuse me. I don't have the exact answer. I would really hate to see the clubs and the balls roll back. I think that's probably what's going to happen. Um, but it's fun to watch all these arguments one way or another for sure. Yeah, I I, I really don't think um, they're going to keep it as it is. I totally agree. I think that, yeah, both arguments, both sides. But the thing is that if you have uh, courses like Riviera all over, then perfect. Yeah. But you don't. Yeah. And that is yeah. the issue here. Not all courses are like that. So that's the thing. At, at this point, we'll, we'll, we're in a wait-and-see um, place right now. But definitely, this is just starting the argument on this. And uh, we can't wait to see what's going to happen. We can only guess and uh, keep talking about it. So with that, we'll close right now the practice range and move on to our final putts. I'm going to talk about the Maybank Championship that uh, was due to take place at the Sahuana Golf and Country Club in Kuala Lumpur, in Malaysia, April 16, 19, uh, 2020, and the Volvo China Open that was scheduled for for April 23rd to 26, which was actually next uh, weekend, at the Gainsun Golf Club in Shenzhen, have been both suspended, postponed due to the outbreak of the coronavirus. The European Tour and the Asian Tour they both accepted the request from title sponsor and promoter Maybank to postpone the Maybank Championship, while the decision to postpone the Volvo China Open on the European Tour was taken following the consultation with tournament stakeholders, the China Golf Association, the Ginsu Golf Club, the Shenzhen government, and the title sponsor Volvo and promoters MyTime Golf. So Fred, discussions are really ongoing with all parties looking to the possibility of rescheduling both tournaments later this season, but they just fell now just into another postponement from the PGA Tour 
and the LPGA. So uh, this, uh, I just read uh, breaking news today that the coronavirus death toll worldwide has reached 2,000, and it's really fast wow. spreading the SARS. So it's really, really a very bad situation right now. And definitely, I commend the tours and the sponsors for taking the time to really think first, health first, safety first, instead of anything else. And definitely, hopefully, we can find an answer to this pretty soon. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. I mean, this is what... Uh, you know, there's, what, three um, LPGA events. Uh, we've got uh, PGA Tour uh, China uh, qualifier that had to be moved. Now you got two uh, major tournaments here uh, closing down. So it's <clears throat> it's a big deal in the world of golf, for sure, and, and in the world uh, as a whole. Uh, registration is open for the 2020 uh, AGA, uh, Amateur Golf Alliance Women's National Championship, to be held May 27th May, through May 30th at La Valle Pines Golf Club in Hobie Sound, uh, down by Jupiter, uh, there in Florida. You can go to uh, AmateurGolfAlliance.org to find out information for that. Um, Bill Murray and his brothers have a Caddyshack tournament, and this is the 20th anniversary for that. And you can win a chance to caddy for Bill Murray in the event. So you can caddy for Bill. Uh, you can attend the post-tournament concert, uh, attend the pairings party. Uh, you get a caddy bib, really cool caddy bib and all that stuff. You get round-trip airfare to St. Augustine, Florida for you and a guest, hotel accommodation. So a lot of good stuff for this. Um, so um, go to uh, go to Murray Bros, B-R-O-S golf.com. That's Murray Bros, B-R-O-S golf.com. Check that out. Sign up for it. It's a good deal. You've got to make a donation to enter, uh, but then they use the money uh, for uh, great stuff. I uh, want to mention that uh, golf legend Mickey Wright died this week. She was long regarded as having one of the best swings ever in golf, and I don't know if you watched any YouTube of it, but it was a thing of beauty. Plus, she put together a pretty, uh, pretty good career in the LBGA Tour. In fact, one could argue that she may have surpassed Tiger and Jordan Spieth as having the best year ever as far as the major championships. Uh, good friend Jeff Newman proposed this today. Uh, if you assign each finish in a major championship a rating of one point, Tiger's best calendar year now, I'm not talking about the Tiger Slam where it rolled over in 2001, but his best calendar year of majors happened twice, 2000 where he finished fifth in the Masters and then won the other three. So he had a total of eight points. In 2005, he finished one, two, one, and then T4. So again, that's eight points. Jordan Spieth matched that in 2015 when he won the Masters, uh, won the U.S. Open, was T4 at the uh, PGA, and then, I'm sorry, T4 at the uh, Open Championship and runner-up at the PGA. So that was eight points. Nikki... In her best year, 1961, she won the U.S. Women's Open. She won the LPGA Championship. She won the Western, which was the uh, uh, which was a major back then. 61. It's been replaced by the Bisco and the ANA A N A today. And then she was third at the title holders, which was a total of six points for four major championships. So she beat the boys by two points. So 
Uh, RIP, uh, rest in peace, Mrs. Wright. You were one of the best ever, uh, no matter what anybody says. Carlos, I want to leave you with this. Uh, don't forget to enter the French Lit giveaway. Visit OhioGolfJournal.com. Click on the link. Check out our videos at BackNineReport.com and on Roku at TV. The Toledo Golf Show is this weekend, so stop by the Arthur Hills Golf Trail booth. Say hi. I'll be looking for you. I'm out, Carlos. Well, Back Niners, that wraps up another week of the Back Nine Report. Thank you for listening. It's always our pleasure to bring you the latest on the world of golf. Don't forget to join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time here on Block Talk Radio. Or if you missed it, check it out on iTunes or TuneIn, also on Roku TV. If you haven't done so, follow the show on Twitter. Our ID is at Back Nine Report with the number nine in the middle. My name is Carlos Torres. Along with Fred Alvader, we wish you to be happy. Be blessed and enjoy the great game of golf. Happy golfing, everybody. Good night, everybody.